The Arabian Nights, the 69th night. The following night, Shahrazad said, It is related, O glorious king, that the caliph, marveling at these adventures, turned to the first girl and said, Tell me what happened to the demon serpent who had cast a spell on your sisters and turned them into bitches. Do you know her whereabouts? And did she set with you the date of her return to you? The girl replied, O commander of the faithful, she gave me a tuft of hair, saying, Whenever you need me, burn two of the hairs, and I will be with you at once, even if I am beyond Mount Kaf. The caliph asked, Where is the tuft of hair? She brought it, and he took it, and burned the entire tuft. Suddenly, the whole palace began to tremble, and the serpent arrived and said, Peace be with you, O commander of the faithful. This woman has sown with me the seed of gratitude, and I cannot reward her amply enough, for she killed my enemy and saved me from death. Knowing what her sisters had done to her, I felt bound to reward her by avenging her. At first I was about to destroy them once and for all, but I feared that their deaths would be hard on her. Therefore I cast a spell on them and turned them into bitches. Now, if you wish me to release them, O commander of the faithful, I will do it gladly, for your wish is my command, O commander of the faithful. The caliph replied, O spirit, release them and let us deliver them from their misery. After you release them, I will look into the case of this flogged girl, and may the Almighty God help me and make it easy for me to solve her case and discover who wronged her and usurped her rights, for I am sure that she is telling the truth. The she-demon replied, O commander of the faithful, not only will I release these two bitches, but I will also reveal to you who abused and beat this girl. In fact, he is the nearest of all men to you. Then she took, O king, a bowl of water, and muttering a spell over it in words no one could understand, sprinkled the two sisters with the water, and turned them back into their original form. Then the she-demon said, O commander of the faithful, the man who beat this girl is your son, Al-Amin, brother of Al-Mamun. He had heard of her beauty and charm, and he tricked her into a legal marriage. But he is not to blame for beating her, for he pledged her and bound her by a solemn oath not to do a certain thing, but she broke the pledge. He was about to kill her, but, reflecting on the sin of murder and fearing the Almighty God, contented himself with flogging her and sending her back to her home. Such is the story of the second girl, and God knows all. When the caliph heard what the she-demon said, and found out who had flogged the girl, he was exceedingly amazed, and said, Praise be to the Almighty God, who has blessed me and helped me to release these two women, and deliver them from sorcery and torture, and who has blessed me a second time, and revealed to me the cause of that woman's misfortune. By God, I am now going to do a deed by which I will be remembered. 
Then the caliph, O king, summoned his son Al-Amin, and questioned him to confirm the truth of the story. Then he assembled together the judge and witnesses, the three dervishes, the first girl and her two sisters, who had been cast under a spell, and the flogged girl and the shopper. When they were all assembled, he married the first girl and her sisters, who had been cast under a spell, to the three dervishes, who were the sons of kings. He made the three dervishes chamberlains and members of his inner circle, giving them money, clothes, horses, a palace in Baghdad, and everything they needed. He married the flogged girl to his son Alamin under a new marriage contract, showered her with wealth, and ordered the house to be rebuilt and made even better than before. Then the commander of the faithful himself married the third girl, the shopper. The people marvelled at the caliph's wisdom, tolerance, and generosity, and when all the facts were revealed, recorded these stories. The Story of the Three Apples A few days later the caliph said to Jafar, I wish to go into the city to find out what is happening, and to question the people about the conduct of my administrators, so that I may dismiss those of whom they complain, and promote those they praise. Jafar replied, As you wish. When it was night, the caliph went into the city with Jafar and Masrur, and walked about the streets and markets, and as they made their way through an alley, they met a very old man carrying a basket and a fishnet on his head, and holding a staff in his hand. The caliph said to Jafar, This is a poor man in need. Then he asked the old man, Old man, what is your trade? And the old man replied, My lord, I am a fisherman with a family, and I have been out fishing since midday without luck or anything with which to buy supper for my family. I feel helpless and disgusted with life, and I wish that I was dead. The caliph said to him, Fisherman, would you go back with us to the Tigris, stand at the river bank and cast a net for me, and whatever you happen to catch? I shall buy from you for one hundred dinars. Delighted, the old fisherman replied, Yes, my lord, and went back with them to the Tigris. He cast his net, and when he gathered his rope and pulled it up, he found inside the net a locked heavy chest. The caliph gave the fisherman one hundred dinars and bade Masrur carry the chest back to the palace. When they broke it open, they found inside a basket of palm leaves sewn with a red woolen thread. Cutting the basket open, they saw inside a piece of carpet, and lifting it out, saw a woman's cloak folded in four. When they removed the cloak, they found at the bottom of the chest a girl in the bloom of youth, as fair as pure silver. She had been slain and cut to pieces. But morning overtook Shahrazad, and she lapsed into silence. Then Dinarzad said, O oh, sister, what an entertaining story! Shahrazad replied, What is this compared with what I shall tell you tomorrow night? 
if I stay alive. The Seventieth Night The following night, Shahrazad said, I heard, O happy king, that the girl had been cut into nineteen pieces. When the caliph looked at her, he felt sad and sorry for her, and with tears in his eyes turned to Jafar and said angrily, You dog of a vizier, people are being killed and thrown into the river in my city, while I bear the responsibility till doomsday. By God, I will avenge this girl and put her murderer to the worst of deaths. If you do not find me her killer, I will hang you and hang forty of your kinsmen with you. He was exceedingly angry and cried a disquieting cry at Jafar, who said, O commander of the faithful, grant me three days' delay. The caliph replied, Grant it. Then Jafar withdrew and went into the city, vexed and sad, not knowing what to do. He said to himself, Where shall I find the murderer of this girl, so that I may bring him before the caliph? If I bring him one of the men from jail, I will be guilty of his blood. I don't know what to do. But there is no power and no strength, save in God the Almighty, the Magnificent. He stayed at home the first day, and the second, and by noon of the third day the caliph sent some of his chamberlains to fetch him. When he came into the presence of the caliph, the caliph asked him, Where is the murderer of the girl? Jafar replied, O commander of the faithful, am I an expert in detecting a murder? The caliph was furious at his answer. He yelled at him and commanded that he be hanged before the palace, bidding a crier to cry throughout Baghdad, Whoever wishes to see the hanging of the vizier Jafar with forty of his Barmaki kinsmen, let him come before the palace and look at the spectacle. Then the governor of the city and the chamberlains brought Jafar and his kinsmen and made them stand under the gallows. But while they waited to see the handkerchief at the window, this was the usual signal, and while the crowd wept for Jafar and his kinsmen, a neatly dressed young man pushed his way through the crowd toward Jafar. He had a bright face with dark eyes, fair brow and rosy cheeks, covered with a downy beard, and graced with a mole like a disc of ambergris. When he finally made his way and stood before Jafar, he kissed his hand and said, May I spare you from such a horrible fate, O Grand Vizier, most eminent prince and refuge of the poor? Hang me for the murder of the girl, for I am the one who murdered her. When Jafar heard the young man's confession, he rejoiced at his own deliverance, but grieved for the young man. But while Jafar was talking to him, an old man, well advanced in years, pushed his way through the crowd until he reached Jafar and said, O vizier and mighty lord, do not believe what this young man is saying, for none has murdered the girl but I. Punish me for her death, for if you do not, I will call you to account before the Almighty God. 
But the young man cried out, O vizier, none murdered her but I. The old man said, Son, you are still very young, while I am an old man who has had enough of life. I will give my life for you. And turning to Jafar, he continued, None murdered the girl but I. Hurry up and hang me, for my life is over now that she is dead. When Jafar heard the conversation, he was amazed, and he took both the young man and the old man with him and went to the caliph. After kissing the ground before him seven times, he said, O commander of the faithful, I have brought you the murderer of the girl. Each of these two men, the young man and the old man, claims that he is the murderer. Here they stand before you. The caliph, looking at the young man and the old man, asked, Which of you killed the girl and threw her into the river? The young man replied, I murdered her. And the old man said, None killed her but I. Then the caliph said to Jafar, Hang them both. But Jafar said, O commander of the faithful, since only one of them is guilty, it will be unjust to hang the other too. The young man said, By him who raised the firmament, I am the one who four days ago killed the girl, placed her in a basket of palm leaves, covered her with a woman's cloak, placed a piece of carpet over it, sewed the basket with a red woolen thread, and threw her into the river. In the name of God and his judgment day, I ask you to punish me for her death. Do not let me live after her. The caliph, marvelling at what the young man said, asked him, What caused you to kill her wrongfully, and what caused you to come forward on your own? The young man replied, O commander of the faithful, our story is such that were it engraved with needles at the corner of the eye, it would be a lesson to those who would consider. The caliph said, Relate to us what happened to you and her. The young man replied, I hear and obey the command of God and the commander of the faithful. Then the young man, but mourning, overtook Shahrazad, and she lapsed into silence. The Seventy-First Night The following night, Shahrazad said, I heard, O happy king, that the young man said, O commander of the faithful, the murdered girl was my wife and the mother of my children. She was my cousin, the daughter of this old man, my uncle, who gave her to me in marriage when she was still a young virgin. We lived together for eleven years, during which time God blessed her and she bore me three sons. She was well behaved toward me and served me exceedingly well, and I in turn loved her very much. On the first day of this month she fell gravely ill and kept getting worse, but I took great care of her until by the end of the month she slowly began to recover. One day before going to the bath she said to me, Husband, I want you to satisfy a desire of mine. I replied, 
I hear and obey, even if it were a thousand desires. She said, I have a craving for an apple. If I could only smell it and take a bite, I wouldn't care if I die afterward. I replied, It shall be done. Then I went and looked for apples, but could not find any anywhere in your whole city. Had I found any, I would have paid a dinar for one. Vexed at my failure to satisfy her craving, I went home and said, Wife, I was unable to find any apples. She was upset and, being still ill, suffered a relapse that night. As soon as it was morning, I went out and made the rounds of the orchards one by one, but found no apples anywhere. At last a very old gardener answered my inquiry, saying, Son, no apples can be found except in the orchards of the commander of the faithful in Basra, where they are stored by the gardener. I went home, and, driven by my love and solicitude for her, I prepared myself for the journey. For two full weeks, O commander of the faithful, I journeyed day and night, returning finally with three apples I had bought from the gardener for three dinars. But when I handed them to her, she showed no pleasure in them, but laid them aside. Then she suffered another relapse, lay ill, and made me worried about her for ten days. One day, as I sat in my shop, buying and selling fabrics, I suddenly saw an ugly black slave, as tall as a reed and as broad as a bench, passing by. He was holding in his hand one of the three apples for which I had journeyed for half a month. I called after him, saying, "'My good slave, where did you get this apple?' He replied, I got it from my mistress, for I went to see her today and found her lying ill with three apples by her side. She told me that her pimp of a husband had journeyed for half a month to bring them. After I ate and drank with her, I took one of the apples with me. When I heard what he said, O commander of the faithful, the world turned black before my eyes. I locked up my shop and went home, mad with resentment and fury. When I got home and looked for the apples, I found only two. And when I asked her, Wife, where is the other apple? She raised her head and replied, By God, husband, I don't know. This convinced me that the slave had told the truth, and I took a sharp knife and, stealing behind her silently, knelt on her breast, worked the knife into her throat, and cut off her head. Then I quickly placed her in a basket, covered her with a woman's cloak, placed a piece of carpet on top of it, and sewed the basket. Then I placed the basket inside a chest, carried it on my head, and threw it into the Tigris. For God's sake, O commander of the faithful, avenge her on me, and hang me quickly, or I will call you to account on her behalf before the Almighty God." for when I threw her into the river and went home, I found my eldest son crying, and when I asked him, What is the matter with you? He replied, Oh, father, this morning I stole one of the three apples you had brought back for my mother. I took it and went to the market, and as I was standing with my brothers, 
a tall black slave came by and snatched it from my hand. I protested, saying, For God's sake, good slave, this is one of the apples for which my father journeyed for half a month to Basra to bring back to my mother, who was ill. Don't get me into trouble. But he paid no attention to me, and when I begged him for a second and a third time, he slapped me and went off with it. Scared of my mother, I went with my brothers outside the city, and we stayed there in fear until it started to get dark. For God's sake, father, say nothing to her of this, or her illness will get worse. When I heard my son's words and saw him trembling and weeping, O commander of the faithful, I realized that I had killed my wife wrongfully, and that she had died unjustly. The accursed slave, hearing about the apples from my son, had slandered her and lied about her. When I realized that, I wept and made my sons weep with me. And when this old man, my uncle, and her father came in, I related to him what had happened. And he wept and made us weep with him till midnight. And for three days afterward, we mourned for her and grieved over her unjust death, and all because of that black slave. This is the story of the murdered girl. So by your fathers and forefathers, I beg you to avenge her unjust death on me and kill me for my mistake, for I have no life left after her. When the caliph heard his words, but morning overtook Shahrazad, and she lapsed into silence. The Seventy-Second Night The following night, Shahrazad said, I heard, O happy king, that when the caliph heard the young man's story, he was very much amazed and said, By God, I will hang none but the accursed slave, and I will do a deed that will quench the thirst for vengeance and please the glorious king. Then he said to Jafar, Go into the city and bring me the slave, or I will strike your neck. Jafar left in tears, saying to himself, There is no escape from death this time, for the jar cannot be saved every time. But the all-powerful and omnipotent God who saved me the first time may save me yet a second time. By God, I will stay home for three days until God's will is accomplished. He stayed home the first day and the second, and by noon of the third day, giving himself up for lost, Jafar summoned the judges and witnesses and made his will. Then he called his children to him, bade them farewell, and wept. Soon a messenger from the caliph arrived, saying, The caliph is in a great rage, and he swears that this day shall not pass before you are hanged. Jafar wept and made all his slaves and members of his household weep for him. After he bade his children and all the members of his household farewell, his little daughter, who was very pretty and whom he loved more than all the others, came up to him, and he embraced her and kissed her, as he wept at parting from his family and his children. But as he embraced her to comfort her, pressing her hard to his aching heart, he felt something round in her pocket. He asked her, My little girl, what is in your pocket? 
and the little one replied, It is an apple, with the name of our lord the caliph written on it. Rahan our slave brought it, but he would not let me have it until I gave him two dinars for it. When Jafar heard her mention the apple and the slave, he shrieked, and putting his hand in her pocket, took out the apple, and, recognizing it, cried, O oh, speedy deliverer! Then he bade the slave be brought before him, and when the slave came, Jafar said, Damn you, Rahan! Where did you get this apple? The slave replied, Although a lie may save a man, the truth is better and safer. By God, my lord, I did not steal this apple from your palace, or from the palace of the commander of the faithful, or from his gardens. Four days ago, as I was walking through one of the alleys of the city, I saw some children at play, and when one of them dropped this apple I beat him and snatched it from him. He cried and said to me, Kind gentleman, this apple belongs to my mother, who is ill. She had told my father that she had a craving for apples, and he journeyed for half a month to Basra, and brought her back three apples, of which I stole this one. Give it back to me. But I refused to give it back to him. Instead, I brought it here, and sold it to my little lady for two dinars. This is the story of the apple. When Jafar heard his words, he marvelled at the story and at the discovery that the cause of all the trouble turned out to be none other than one of his own slaves. He rejoiced, and taking the slave by the hand, led him before the caliph, and related to him the whole story from beginning to end. The commander of the faithful was greatly astonished, and laughed until he fell on his back. Then he asked Jafar, do you mean to tell me that this slave of yours is the cause of all the trouble? Jafar replied, Yes, commander of the faithful. Seeing that the caliph was greatly struck by the coincidence of the story, Jafar said to the commander of the faithful, Do not marvel at this story, for it is not as amazing as the story of the two viziers, Nur al-Din Ali al-Misri, and Badr al-Din Hassan al-Basri. The caliph asked, O oh, my vizier, is the story of these two viziers truly more amazing than this one? Jafar replied, Yes, it is indeed more amazing and more extraordinary, but I will not relate it to you, save on one condition. Eager to hear the story, the caliph said, Come on, my vizier, and let me hear it, if it is indeed more amazing than the events we have just witnessed. I will pardon your slave. But if it is not, I will kill him. Come on, tell me what you know. And Jafar proceeded to tell the story of the two viziers, Nur al-Din Ali al-Misri and Badr al-Din Hassan al-Basri. I heard, O commander of the faithful, that a long time ago there lived in the province of Egypt a just, trusted, kind, generous, courageous, and powerful king, who associated with the learned and loved the poor. He had a wise, experienced, and influential vizier, who was careful, cautious, 
and skilled in the affairs of state. This vizier, who was a very old man, had two sons who were like two moons or two lovely deer in their perfect elegance, beauty, and grace. The elder was called Shams al-Din Muhammad, the younger Nur al-Din Ali. The younger surpassed his brother in beauty. Indeed, in his day God had created none more beautiful. One day, as it had been foreordained, their father the vizier died, and the king mourned him and summoned the two sons, bestowed on them robes of honour and other favours, and said, You shall take your father's place and be joint viziers of Egypt. They kissed the ground before him and withdrew, and for a full month they performed the ceremonial mourning for their father. Then they assumed their position, taking turns, each performing his duty for a week at a time, and each accompanying the king on one journey at a time. The two lived in the same house, and their word was one. It happened that one night, before the elder brother was to set out on a journey with the king the next morning, the two brothers sat chatting. The elder brother said, "'Brother, I wish that you and I would marry two sisters, draw our marriage contracts on the same day, and go into our wives on the same night.' Nur al-Din replied, "'Brother, do as you wish, for this is an excellent idea. But let us wait until you come back from your journey, and with God's blessing we shall seek two girls in marriage.' The elder brother said to Nur al-Din, Tell me, brother, if you and I perform our wedding on the same day, and consummate our marriage on the same night, and if your wife and mine conceive on our wedding night, and at the end of their pregnancy give birth on the same day, and if your wife gives birth to a boy and my wife to a girl, tell me, will you marry your son to my daughter? Nur al-Din replied, Yes, brother Shams al-Din adding, But what dowry will you require from my son for your daughter? The elder brother replied, I will take at least three thousand dinars, three orchards, and three farms in addition to an amount specified in the contract. Nur al-Din replied, Brother Shams al-Din, why such an excessive dowry? Are we not brothers, and is not each of us a vizier who knows his obligations? It behooves you to offer your daughter to my son without a dowry, for the male is worthier than the female. But you treat me like the man who said to another man who came to ask for help, Very well, I will help you, but wait till tomorrow, prompting the other to repeat the following verses. When one postpones the favour for a day, the wise man knows that he has answered nay. Shams al-Din said, Enough of your comments. Damn you for comparing your son to my daughter, and thinking that he is worthier than she. By God, you lack understanding and wisdom. You say that we are partners in this vizierat, without realising that I let you share it with me, only in order to spare your feelings by letting you assist me. By God, I will never marry my daughter to your son, not even for her weight in gold. I will never marry her to your son and have him for a son-in-law, not even if I have to suffer death. When Nur al-Din heard his brother's words, he became very angry and asked, 
Will you indeed not marry your daughter to my son? Shams al-Din replied, No, I will never consent to that, for he is not worth even a paring of her nail. Were I not on the eve of a journey, I would make an example of you, but when I come back I will show you how I will vindicate my honour. Nur al-Din's anger grew so great that he was beside himself with rage, but he hid what he felt while the brother sulked, and the two spent the night far apart, each full of wrath against the other. As soon as it was morning, the king went to the pyramids, accompanied by the vizier Shams al-Din, whose turn it was to go with him. When Shams al-Din departed, Nur al-Din got up, still full of anger, opened his treasure chamber, and taking gold only, filled a small saddlebag. He recalled how his brother had scolded him and insulted him, and he recited the following verses. Travel, and new friends will succeed the friends you lost, and toil for life's sweets do through toil come. To stay wins you no honour, nor from exile saves. Set out to roam the world, and leave your home. When water stands, it stagnant turns and stinks, but tastes so sweet when it does flow and run. And if the sun stood in its orbit still, both Arabs and barbarians would tire of the sun, and if the full moon did not wane and set, no watchful eyes would the moon's rising mark. If in the lair the lion stayed, and the bow the dart, neither would catch the prey or hit the mark. Deep in the mine, gold dust is merely dust, and in its native ground, fuel, aloe wood. Gold, when extracted, grows much in demand, and when exported, aloe fetches gold. When he finished reciting these verses, he ordered one of his pages to saddle his Arabian she-mule with her sturdy saddle and saddle-cloth. She was a particularly fine riding animal, with dappled grey skin, ears like sharp reed-pens, and legs like pillars. He ordered the page to saddle her with all her trappings, to place the saddle-bags on her back, and to cover them with a soft seat of silk carpeting. Then he said to his pages and slaves, I am leaving the city on an excursion in the vicinity of Kalyubiar to divert myself for a night or two, for I have been very depressed lately. Let none of you follow me. Then he took some provisions, mounted the she-mule, and leaving Cairo, entered the desert. At midday he reached a town called Bilbis, where he dismounted to rest and have something to eat. Then he took some food for himself and forage for his she-mule, and left the town and, spurring his she-mule, fared forth in the desert. By nightfall he reached the town of Al-Saidiyah, where he dismounted to spend the night at the post-station. He walked the she-mule seven or eight times, then gave her some fodder to eat, and after he himself ate some food, he spread the carpet he had used for a seat, and placing the saddlebags under his head, lay down, still seething with anger, saying to himself, by God, I will ride on, even if I wander as far as Baghdad. In the morning he resumed his journey, and, chancing to meet a courier, a commander of the faithful, 
He accompanied him on his she-mule, stopping whenever the courier stopped, and riding whenever he rode, until God granted him safe passage, and he reached the city of Basra. It happened that as he approached the outskirts of the city, the vizier of Basra was also travelling on the same road, and when the vizier overtook him and saw that he was a handsome and well-mannered young man, he drew near him, greeted him, and inquired about his situation. Nur al-Din Ali told the vizier about himself, and said, I quarrelled with my family, and pledge myself not to go back until I visit all the countries of the world, even if I perish and meet my end before I achieve my aim. When the vizier of Basra heard his words, he said to him, O oh my son, do not go any further, for most of the regions are waste, and I fear for your safety. Then he took Nur al-Din Ali home with him, and treated him with kindness and generosity, for he was beginning to feel a great affection for him. Then the vizier said to him, O oh my son, I am a very old man whom God has never blessed with a son, but I have a daughter who is your equal in beauty. Many wealthy and eminent men have asked for her hand, but I have rejected them all. But since I have affection for you, will you accept my daughter as your wife and maid and be a husband to her? If you marry her, I will go to the king and tell him that you are like a son to me, and I will advance your cause and make you vizier in my place, so that I may be able to stay at home and rest. For by God, son, I am advanced in years, and I am weary and worn out. You shall be a son to me, and shall have control over my possessions and over the vizierate in the province of Basra. When Nur al-Din heard the vizier's words, he bowed his head a while and, finally looking up, said, I hear and obey. The vizier was overjoyed, and he bade his servants prepare food and sweets and decorate the large hall used for wedding feasts, and they at once did as he bade. Then he gathered his friends and invited the prominent and the wealthy men of Basra, and when they were all assembled, he said, I have a brother who is the vizier of Egypt. He has been blessed with a son, and I, as you know, have been blessed with a daughter. When his son and my daughter reached the age of marriage, he sent his son to me. And now I would like to draw their marriage contract, so that he may consummate his marriage here. After the wedding, I shall prepare him for the journey and send him back with his wife. They replied, This is an excellent idea and a happy and praiseworthy plan. May God crown your good fortune with happiness and may he keep your course blameless. But morning overtook Shahrazad and she lapsed into silence. <laughs>